Welcome back to the Forefront Church Podcast. Drew, this is our second attempt doing this. I know. Crazy to think. We're already on episode number two. Right. Who would have thunk? We're pretty famous. This podcast is is all over everywhere right now. I think right now so far three people have listened to that first one, and I think one of them is my mom in North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Hey, you got to have your mom on board, man. Right. That's really good. Rob, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I love this time of year. The weather's finally warming up here as we approach the 4th of July area, depending when you listen to this. It is. And finally getting warm out here and get on my bike, get some yeah. miles in, get some hikes in. It was good, man. It's like 76 degrees today. Perfect Colorado weather. Oh, can't get better. It. Right? Yeah, I can't get better. How's uh, how's engaged life treating you? Uh, it is a uh, new experience. Yeah? First time. People, that's what, by the way, I was golfing with some people, which I don't golf either. But uh, So you were digging for uh, golf balls in the woods. What right. are you really doing? I, the reason I lost that golf game is because I left more golf balls on the course than I came home with. <laughs> that, usually, that usually does the trick. <laughs> so, but one of the guys, one of my, one of the reps, he goes, so you're getting married? I'm like, yeah. He's like, congratulations. He's like, yeah. He's like, how old are you? I'm like, about 40. He goes, first one. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's got really the first one. Yeah. First yeah, one. What's yeah. wrong with the first one being at 40? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I only want one. I don't want <laughs> That's right, man. Uh, it's good, man. I'm excited for you guys. It's Thank gonna you. Be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It will. I'm excited. So one of the, th- the big things we're talking about, or we want to tackle some topics that, you know, help people with their daily life in Christ and in the Bible is like, one of the questions that's come up a lot is how can I trust the Bible? How do I know it's true? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a, it's a huge question. You know, can I trust the Bible is the word of God. Right. You know, I, maybe I grew up in the church. I right? did. Yeah. So you grew up in the church. And Born on up, Saturday and church on Sunday. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. And, and you grew up going to Sunday school and, hey, this the Bible is the word of God. Right. You know, well, why is that? Well, my Sunday school teacher said it was. Right. You know, or my, my grandma, you know, she, she said this, the Bible is the word of God. Right. You know, so you have this, this understanding, but then you step off and you go to, to college and you take that, what you think is going to be a really fun religion 101 class. And the <laughs> first day, your professor comes out and says, hey, just want you to know I'm not a Christian and I don't believe the Bible is true. And that's a shell shocker. It is. And, and it's sort of our goal here is to give you the tools. We can't cover everything. There's a lot of information mm, in this. Yep. But we're just trying to give you a service level. We'll put some stuff in the description, some links, some that, and some places you can either read, listen, follow, or get more information on as well. Because it's a big topic. It is. And we're not going to, you know, you know, fake that we can actually answer all these questions for you in the time yeah. that we have here. That's right, man. Yeah, you know, it, it is. It's, it's a foundational topic. Because I think as Christians, we say, well, how do we know what God has told us? Well, we see the Bible as God's revelation, right? right. God has revealed to us who he is, what he's like, and we find that in the pages of the Bible. Yeah. So when I go through my everyday life, and maybe I'm at work, or I'm at home, and I'm in the neighborhood hanging out with buddies, and you start talking about your faith and you encounter people that will say, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've all heard those arguments, right? That the Bible was just a book written by a bunch of different guys. And it, how would you trust a book written by a whole bunch of yeah. just shepherds in the wilderness? Bunch, yeah. A bunch of different guys with crazy beards and long hair who lived for over the course of 1500 years. Right. You know, in different continents. I mean, how can that be God's word? Different languages. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you get a lot of people that say, well, you know, how do you trust the Bible? Because it's just full of contradictions and, and errors. And, you know, that causes them to, uh, to doubt that it's true, that it's reliable. So how should I trust the Bible? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. It's a great question. You know, I think about it, you know, you, you may have some buddies that are, um, you know, maybe have, are 
have different religions or you, some buddies that have strayed away from the faith. And, different worldviews. Yeah, different worldviews. And, you know, you'll hear them say things like, well, you know, the Bible is just, it was corrupted and, you know, it needed to be rewritten. And so, you know, you know this particular religion like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or even Islam, this is the correct translation. This is the correct understanding of God's revelation. You know, so it's, you have all of these different worldviews and you have all of these different topics and all this different content coming at you. How do you truly know what to believe? It's tough to discern the information. Yeah. Yeah. And as a Christian, it's so important that we can trust that the Bible is true, is true. So I, I think it's going to be a fun topic for us to kick around. Yeah. I can't wait. I've been listening to uh, Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. Excited so for his good. new book, uh, Case for Miracles, coming up here in this summer as well. Yeah, it's so good. You know, I think one of the good things for us, Rob, is to, to consider when we say that we believe the Bible is true, we should probably define what we mean by that. Okay, yeah, when you say the Bible is true, like, are we talking about the Bible? Like, when, what, what are we looking for? Yeah, there? yeah, it's good. So, you know, when we say the Bible is true, we're, we're, we're again saying that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, right? That this is how God has revealed Himself to us. Yeah. He, he's revealed Himself to us in, in written form. There's this really great verse, one of my favorite verses, it's in 2 Timothy okay. chapter 3. 16 to 17. Okay. Uh, we've all heard it, right? It says, all scripture is inspired by God yep. and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I love that verse because it, it brings out this idea that the, the Bible, it's inspired by God. No, I, I agree with that completely. But the question I get with that is in going, they're using the Bible to define the Bible as true. It's like, if the Bible is not a credible source to someone why we, we can't use a, that as a source. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and it gets down to this idea of thinking about it, you know, from a, from a perspective of um, historical accuracy, yeah. um, reliability um, in, in what the pages of Scripture say. And so am I going to trust that the Bible is what it says it is? Yeah. Well, first it needs to meet some criteria. Right. In what's my, in what's my the opinion historical, first. like I said, criteria. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So today we want to look at three reasons why we can trust that the Bible is true. You know, I I think one of the main arguments that we hear, you know, from, from people that are skeptical about the Bible or people that maybe grew up in the church and heard a really convincing argument Mm -hmm. that the Bible has contradictions or that the Bible was corrupted or, or anything like that. You know, one of the main arguments we hear is that, well, the Bible is just a collection of stories that were written hundreds of years after the event happened. Uh, or the, these stories are just myths. Yeah. Or, you know, create the creation narrative in Genesis 1 is just anecdotal. Or the oral history has been changed over time. Exactly. Authors came back in and added things later or changed it. Or, or you know, it's just made-up stories like other religions have in their books. Right. You know, so it's not something I can base my life on. So I think it's, that's why it's important that we look at this idea that the Bible is trustworthy. And, and that starts with seeing that the Bible is reliable. Yeah. And that there's evidence for it. It's so, amazing the history, history and like the accuracy of how closely, like especially go, like focusing on like the New Testament. Mm. Lee Strobel talks about in his book, The Case for Christ, yeah. where some of these books are w- written within years Incredible. of the events actually happening. And, yeah, and to amazing. say that we still have it, it written in that form and copied exactly the same, we're re- relatively close to what it is. And Absolutely. E- even the mistakes they say that are in there are just grammatical differences. Yep, yep. typos. You know, maybe using a, a lowercase instead of an uppercase. I mean, yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I just love this idea that we can trust the Bible because it's historical and it's accurate and it's unique. 
You know, I think those are just really uh, cool ways for us to think about the trustworthiness of the Bible. How does it help with it being unique? Yeah. Well, tell you what, let's jump in first with it being historical. Okay. Yeah, let's jump in first. So the first reason we can trust the Bible is that it is historical. And when I say historical, I mean that, that we can look at the archaeological evidence and see that the events that the Bible claims to have occurred are rooted in history. Okay. Yeah. So help me out with that. Yeah. So I don't know if you like archaeology shows. Just a little. So I love like ancient aliens and all oh, this kind of yeah. stuff on you know, you know discovery. My, you know my favorite thing about ancient aliens. Yeah. Is that like you watch this like as a Christian people are like you're crazy for believing what you believe. I'm like they had a whole TV show about believing in crazy. Yeah. It's just and it's fun. It's entertaining and they're digging up interesting stuff and you know I, I always love uh, shows about uncovering tombs in Egypt or, right. or giving theories on how the pyramids came together. Uh, I saw one the other day about Stonehenge, you know, and how they thought that the, the, they actually got the stones up oh, yeah. on the hill. Really and, cool. Oh, I know how they did Aliens? Aliens. Yeah. Yes. That's usually what they say. Uh, yeah. That's usually what they say. We'll, we'll save that one for another episode. All right. Perfect. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the best archaeological stories that, that I hear are when they find new evidence that support the biblical narrative. Okay. You know, dig sites around the world and they're continually unearthing amazing artifacts and inscriptions that coincide with what we read in the Old and New Testaments. For example, um, back in 1920, there, there was a, a really cool ar- archaeological find. They, they confirmed the presence of cities that were much like Ur, the city that was described in Genesis 11, where Abraham and his family came from. And, and so cities like this were doubted by skeptics for so long, but they unearthed a city that completely matched what we see in the biblical narrative. Another one that I thought was really cool. You know, one of the things that you'll hear a lot of people say is there, there's no evidence that, that Joseph ever lived in Egypt, okay. that he ever had any power in Egypt, or that the Hebrews ever lived as slaves in Egypt. Okay. You know, there, there's a lot of, uh, of, of debate about that. Okay. Well, not that long ago, they found some engravings in an Egyptian tomb that depict an installation of a viceroy. And it was in the manner that exactly matched the biblical description of the ceremony involving Joseph in Genesis 41. Really? I mean, that's amazing. They, they found a signet ring also with an inscription on it that matched Joseph's name. Huh. So it's just really, I mean, archaeology is continually unearthing these amazing things. Uh, there's another cool one. Um, the archaeologists found the pool of uh, Bethesda in Jerusalem, and, okay. and it was once dismissed as just a story in okay. the Old Testament with Jesus. But he thought of it as non-historical. But now, if you go to if you go to Jerusalem and take a tour, yeah. they're going to take you right by the pool of Bethesda. What? Yeah. And what's really have you cool, ever been? To Jerusalem? I haven't been. No, it's on the, the bucket list. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. One we definitely want to go to. Right. But what's cool is the list goes on. There's so many. I mean, just do a Google search. Right. You know, archaeological evidence that support the the Bible. Okay. And there's just list after list. You know, uh, w- one that people often bring up is well, Pontius Pilate. You know, the Roman prefect. I've that, heard about this. Yeah, you've probably heard about or him. Or like he, they, they, there's confusion if he ever existed. Yeah, exactly. Was, was he even a real person? Well, they've actually found a stone inscription documenting his life and his office that it aligns perfectly with what we see in the Gospels. Incredible. It's so cool. Um, another one, they, um, they actually found records to show what Luke says in, in Luke chapter 1, yeah. that Quirinius was really the governor of Syria. That was one that has been debated for centuries. Yeah. And now they've found evidence that, that proves that. And, and there's just dozens of other biblical facts and, and, uh, that, that these events and these characters, they were real. And, and I think it's amazing because it shows us that the Bible is historical. Yeah. You know, these aren't myths. These aren't stories that, that just were pulled out of the air to, to tell a cultural implication. 
I mean, these are real things that happen, it, backed what, up by history. One of the things I found interesting, too, is like going through Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Crisis. Yeah. These books are written so close to when they happen. So mm. like if I wrote something bad about you and I put it out there, post it on Facebook or wherever, you can be like, hey, no, that wasn't accurate. Yes. Where this is written in a time when they could, you know, talk to these people. These like these are the written letters of their church and they list people. Yeah. Going, talk to these people that have also witnessed this. And if they didn't witness it and they were on that list, they're like, I, I wasn't. Th- what are you talking about? It's amazing. Yeah. It, you're so right. You know, uh, when Paul says in First Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to the 12 and then to 500 brothers at one time, some who have fallen asleep, he's saying that there are so many brothers and sisters that saw Jesus that are still alive. Just go ask them. Yeah. Just, just go he, ask them. He's not asking them to trust me. Trust these people. Trust these guys who put eyes on Jesus. And, yeah, exactly. And, and an era, too, where they're trying to find ways to disprove mm, Christianity so, and, and so to true. put down the church at that point. Yeah. That yeah. It, you know, why would you put someone's name on there that really wasn't going to back your story up? Man. You know, and what's really cool about this idea that we can trust that the Bible is true mm-hmm. because it, it's, it's historical is that out of all the archaeological finds yeah. for 2,000 years, yeah. all the amazing things that are being unearthed, they have not found one single fact that contradicted the Old or New Testament. Not one. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. Like, define non-contradicted. Like, because like, obviously, like, there's some room in there, like, hey, this just, it's unknown. There's a difference sure. between unknown and not true. Exactly. There's a, lot of un- there's a lot of unknowns still. Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns, but they have not been able to determine characters, people, places, events that the Bible claims to have happened that don't align with what scripture says. That's incredible. It's so cool. It's so cool. So we can trust the Bible is true because it's historical, but as you had just mentioned, the accuracy, the, the, the distance of time between the event and yeah. when it was written, it, it's, it's incredible to think about when you compare it to other works of, of history, and right? other works of antiquity. So the second reason that we can trust the Bible is true is because it's accurate. Yes. You know, the Bible is accurate. And, and when we say the Bible is accurate, we're, we're basing that on bibliographical evidence. So looking at the evidence we have when it compared to when it was written, how many copies we have, yeah. and the distance between when it was written and the oldest manuscript Isn't that, that amazing? Yeah. You know, it, it's really, it's really amazing. You, you know, Rob, I'm sure you've heard this. You know, one of the arguments that, that many people who are skeptical of the Bible make okay. is they say the Bible was written hundreds years of years after Jesus lived. Correct. Yeah, 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 I hear it all the time. Exactly. And one of the things that a lot of guys camp out on, they say, well, there was this gathering of church leaders in 325 Council AD. Council of Nicaea, right? Council of Nicaea. Yeah. Yep. And they say, well, that was really when they sat down and figured out who Jesus was. Right. Before that, they had no idea. You know, and all these gospels were being written and they finally came together and they made the Bible. But that's just, it's just not true. Okay. It's just not true. And then, you know, if you have any buddies that, you know, are Mormonism or Mormon or go to a, a Jehovah's Witness church or, or Islamic, you know, they'll say, well, the Bible got corrupted and that is why our leader, Muhammad or Joseph Smith, whoever it was, needed to rewrite it. Okay, yeah. Rewrite it. So, but, but what, I, what I want to see though, it is a super important factor to recognize that the Bible's reliability is accurate because of the, the bibliographical evidence we have. Let, let, me, let me tell you a little okay. bit about this. Okay. So one of the most debated parts of the Bible is the Old Testament. Of course. So, you know, our modern day Bibles, our Old Testaments are based on a manuscript that was from the 9th century. Okay. So the 800s AD, there was okay. a group called the Masoretes. So they translated the Old Testament, and it's called the Masoretic Text. Okay, happened in the 18 in the 800 AD time frame. 
So you pull out your Bible now, flip to the Old Testament. That translation is based on something from the 9th century AD. Okay. And so people go, well, how can I trust that? Because the Old Testament dates back 1,500 plus years, right? Be- be- before, uh, you know, before Jesus ever hit the earth, right? So how can yeah. I trust something that was written so much later? What is really neat is in the 1940s, you've probably heard of this, the Dead okay. Sea Scrolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the 1940s, some, some archaeologists dug up the Dead Sea Scrolls in the caves at Qumran. Okay. Okay? And these things were, it was the perfect climate. It preserved these scrolls perfectly. And what they found is biblical manuscripts of Old Testament books that date back to 250 B.C. Whoa. So just figure, 1,250 years earlier, pretty much, than anything we had already. Wow. And you know what they found when they compared the two? What? The scrolls were exactly the same. What? Within 99% of each other. Jeez. Yeah, they found a full Isaiah scroll. And they found that what we have in our Bibles in 1940, which is what we have today, yeah. matched what they had before, well before Jesus was ever born. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. And what it means is that when people copied the Bible, they took immaculate care. They took immaculate care. In the Old Testament, they actually counted the words in each scroll to make sure that there were no mistakes. Wow. So they had a checks and balances situation. Unreal. Yeah. So, so old, would you imagine having that job? I know. Yeah. You need a lot of Red Bull. Right. That, <laughs> and like candlelight. Like now they're yes. doing this. It's not like they were doing this. Yeah. Copy and paste. Yeah. They didn't have fluorescence and monster energy drinks. Wow. You know, but what, what is really cool is what you had said a minute ago. Okay. Talking about the New Testament. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I, I, you know, what we see is that many people are skeptical that the Bible is true, that the Bible is God's word. Mm-hmm. We'll say that, that the New Testament wasn't written to 100 years after Jesus died, right? So a lot of these guys will say, hey, Jesus was a historical figure, but they say the Bible wasn't written until three, 400 A.D. You know, they didn't really even know what they believed about Jesus, but that's just not true. Right. It's just not true at all. So as with any work, again, one of the questions we have to ask, when was it written? Yep. How long between it was when it was written and the... Um, it, oldest existing manuscripts, yep. right? And then how many copies of the manuscripts do we have? Correct. So before I tell you this amazing thing, okay, okay, I want to take a moment and compare it to some famous works of antiquity. All right, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. You ever heard of a guy named Homer? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Watched him on Sunday nights. Yeah, yeah, di- different Homer. Okay. You know, different Homer. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about the one that wrote the Iliad. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Remember he wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad? You had to read it junior year of high school. Yeah. You know, I, Cliff Notes, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. a Cliff Notes version, right? It was pretty, yeah. it was pretty thick. So he wrote the Iliad, one of the most famous works in history. Okay. Okay. So it's thought that it's estimated that Homer wrote that in 800 BC. Okay. A few years ago. A few years ago. Okay. The earliest manuscripts that they have are from 400 BC. Okay. Okay. So you have a 400 year gap, 400 year gap. Uh, But they have 1800 plus manuscripts. Okay. So historians could look back and say, okay, here's what we have today. Here's what we have from 400 BC. That seems like quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so they say, okay, we've got 95% accuracy that what we have in the older manuscripts matches the newer, or what we have in the newer manuscripts matches the older manuscripts. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Yeah. So they feel like what they have is very accurate. Okay. Okay. Now, compare that to another guy you've probably heard of, okay. uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Julius Caesar. Got it. You've heard mm-hmm. of him before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he, he was a real dude. Right. Okay. Sure. He I'll, wrote, take, I'll take your word yeah, for it right now. Yeah. At least we. Most people think he was. I. I took that history class. Yeah. At least I should have. Some people think Tupac's still alive too, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, so check your source. Yeah. Exactly. So Julius Caesar wrote a, a work called The Gaelic Wars. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 You've probably heard of that too. Yep. So it was. It was written between 58 and 44 BC. So you know, not too long before Jesus hit the earth. But the earliest manuscript they have, 980. Whoa. Nearly, you know, 950 years from when the work was written and the oldest existing copy that they have. 
And then if you take all the manuscripts that they have, yeah. they've collected, they only have 250 of them. So how do you know that what you read in 900 AD matches what he wrote in 58 BC? Yeah. Like it's not, you, you can't really trust that. There'll I mean, be a lot of revisions in yeah. there between them. Yeah, but I think most historians will say, well, this is a trustworthy source. Okay. Right? Okay, what about Plato? You heard of him? Uh, yeah. Yeah, not the little Play-Doh stuff that uh, our kids play with. Different kind. But Plato, he wrote a, a famous work called the Tetralogies. He wrote it in 400 BC. The earliest manuscripts from 895 AD, 1300 year time gap, only 210 copies. So it's not getting thinner and thinner, getting thinner and thinner. Now check this out. Okay. The, New, the New Testament. Okay. Let's think about this. So the New Testament writings were composed within a few decades of the event, right? Yep. The Gospels were written very close to when Jesus lived. And then we have the writings of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. Yep. Are we making the assumption here too, like it was around like in the 30 AD in yeah. the of yeah. life of Jesus? Yep. There's a lot of debate. You know, Jesus could have been born as early as 6 BC. Okay. You know, at one point, you know, they say, we're going to start the calendar here on zero, yep. <laughs> right? We're going to go back. So Jesus really could have been really anywhere between like 29 AD and 35 AD. Okay. So let's camp out in the middle, right? Okay. That works. 30, that works. 32, 33 AD. So they, you know, we look at the gospels and we say, okay, the gospels were written within decades of Jesus' life. Now, the earliest book that most biblical scholars think we have is 1 Corinthians. Okay. So 1 Corinthians, they think, was written in the mid-40s. So maybe 12 to 15 years after, after the Jesus life and died. death of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Super close. And so resurrection have, of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So Paul, you know, Paul is Saul. He's persecuting the church. Paul gets converted, goes and studies under, you know, some, some great leaders for a bit. And then Paul hits the scene. Yep. So Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians. And what we see, this really cool thing, in 1 Corinthians 15, we see the basic framework of the gospel. Okay. So if skeptics say that people didn't know what they believed about Jesus till 325 AD, we're seeing in AD 45-ish that Paul is giving the gospel framework in an early church creed. And about within 15 years within of... Within 15 years of Jesus. That's in the same lifetime. Same lifetime. All, tons of people who spent time in Jerusalem Could would have been there to refute that. Correct. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, here's what's really cool. So you, people talk about the gospels, right? The narrative of Jesus' life. Oh, they were yeah. written hundreds of years later. Yeah. Well, a, a lot of gospel scholars will think that Matthew was mm -hmm. the earliest book written. Now, there's some debate between Matthew and Mark... But um, I had a seminary professor, Dr. Alan Tomlinson, fantastic Bible scholar, spent his life learning Greek mm -hmm. and digging into Old Testament inscriptions. And he, he believes that, that actually Matthew could have been written anywhere from the mid-40s to the mid-50s. Wow. But most Bible scholars will say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written by the early to mid-60s. Okay? Okay. So you're talking Jesus dies in, say, A.D. 33. Okay. So within 25 years... Right? It's within a lifetime. 25 years. Yeah. yeah. So so we got within 25 years that the gospel accounts were written of Jesus' life. First-hand eyewitnesses. First-hand eyewitnesses. People who would have been there to refute them if they weren't true. Now, check this out. The earliest manuscript that we have is of the book of John. Okay. And it's dated to AD 130. Wow. So you have a 50-year gap. Now, remember, what was our gap on Homer? Uh, Homer, remember Homer was? Uh, yeah, it's 400 years. 400 years. Yep. Julius but there's 1,800 some copies. 95% so, accuracy. Yeah, 95% accuracy. It feels pretty good. Yep. Julius Caesar, 1,000 year gap. Plato, 1,300 year gap. Our gap, 50 years. That's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, this is even going to more, more blow your mind. Okay. Now, remember, Homer had 1,800 copies. Yep. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. good. Julius Caesar had 250 copies. Not as good. Not as good. Plato had 210. Definitely not as good. Still kind of right? close to guy. So, how many copies do we have? Check this out. Okay. So, the New Testament. 
we have 5,800 manuscript copies. What? Which proves that as soon as it was written, it was copied with meticulous care and distributed, right? There's another 18,000 plus copies of the Greek New Testament out there. Wow. And if you take quotes from the early church leaders yeah. who are quoting the Bible as early as the first and second century, yeah. you have over 25,000 plus copies of manuscripts and quotes of those manuscripts. Wow. 25,000. It, it, it's incredible. And when you look at those, what you have in your Bible today, what kind of translation Bible do you have? Uh, full between NIV and ESV. Yeah. Okay. So the NIV and the ESV, what you have in there today is within 99% accuracy of the oldest manuscripts that we have in our existence. And how close, like when things are missed, like there's, there's going to be errors in translation at sure. some point. Like, yeah. But are there, do those errors affect theology or the belief of what people great question not one error affects a doctrinal position of the church okay not one affects theology in any way so you've got a scribe writing in a dark light with no red bull right. in a room with no fluorescence and you'll have misplaced commas maybe some misspelled words okay and that's it but it doesn't change like not one contradiction not one change on doctrinal position or theology incredible it is Absolutely incredible. So you might be wondering, Rob, why is this important? Yeah, why is it important? And here is why. Because it's critical that we use the same criteria to examine historical texts as we do the Bible. Right. So if the Bible can't be trusted as historically accurate, then you have to throw out every historical work of all of history. Nothing stands the test. Right. The Bible passes the test better than any other work in history. Yeah, no, like I, I think Ravi Zacharias says this, like if you're in a debate or a discussion, if you're going to hold my beliefs to a different standard, you're going to hold your beliefs to yeah. your worldviews. It's like, we're not going to have a debate. Absolutely. It's like we have to have, you know, play by the same rules. Mm -hmm. If you're going to hold a certain criteria, I'll hold mine to a yeah. certain criteria, but don't hold it to a different, we're playing different races, you're playing exactly. different games. Yeah, apples and, and oranges. Yeah, right? so it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So when we look at this, you know, why, how can I, can I believe the Bible is true? How, how do I trust that the Bible is true? Mm -hmm. Well, we see that, for one, it's historical, okay. right, B based, on, based on archaeological evidence. We see, two, that it's accurate based on bibliographical evidence. Okay. But you might, that, you might still say, okay, okay, okay. So the guy that wrote it. What about that guy? Yeah, he wrote what was right, and it's been copied meticulously. But... That still doesn't mean it's divine, right? right? Does, does that mean that it's actually the word of God, you know, that it was kept so well through time? And so that brings us to our third piece, okay. our third piece of evidence. So the third reason we can trust the Bible is true is because the Bible is unique. Okay. Help and, me, why, what makes it unique yeah, to what? Check this out. Because when we look at the internal and external evidence, what we see is that the Bible has to be divine. It, it, it must be. Because the internal and external evidence surrounding the Bible show us that no way a group of different authors could come up with the same story over the course of time. Listen to this. What, okay. Check this out. Check this okay. out. Okay. So the first piece of evidence I want to think about like this is seen in the unity of the Bible. Okay. So consider this. The Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years. Okay. It was written on three different continents. Yep. In three different languages. Yep. It was written by 45 different authors. Some shepherds. Some carpet, you know, some, some guys that were um, prophets that had crazy beards and long hair, <laughs> right? right? You got guys that were doctors. Okay. You know, you got missionaries. Yep. You got teenagers, right? right? John okay. was a teenager when he got connected with Jesus. Wow. You know, he was older when he wrote it. But so you've got people in all different walks of life. Yet here's the thing. It tells the same story from beginning to end without contradiction. No contradictions. 
And the unity is evidence that it, it's divinely inspired. You and I couldn't sit down and decide to write a to write something independently and have it tell the same story. Okay. Like just you and me couldn't do that. Oh. How no. about you take 45, 45 guys over fifteen hundred years in three languages on three continents? Now, how do they pick them? These was it like sixty six books? Sixty six books. Yeah. Sixty six books. Like it was. I think it was. We talked a little bit while earlier about the Council of Nicaea. Yeah. What was the criteria to select to make sure like. Like the Bible is basically a library in one mm-hmm. book. Yeah. So how did those 66 books get selected and the other ones hit the editor room floor? It's a good question. You know, we should do a total podcast, a full podcast in this sometime. Okay. But what, what happened was you had a lot of other guys, you had a lot of other people trying to write books and pass them off as biblical books. Yes. And so you have what's called the Gnostic Gospels. You've probably heard of those. Yes. Like the 200 and 300 AD time frame. Isn't this with the... Uh, What's that Dan Brown book? Uh, yeah, the Dan Brown book, uh, Angels and Demons. It's it's based on the Gnostic Gospels. Okay. And so you'll see every Easter and every Christmas, there'll be a story on Discovery Channel. Is the Gospel of Judas really? Oh, Should it be yeah. in the Bible? Or the Gospel of Thomas? Or the Gospel of Mary Magdalene? Yeah. Well, when you compare them critically to the other books of the Bible, they just don't hold up. They were written hundreds of years later. They, when you say they don't hold up, help me out. They tell a story of a mystical... Um, almost uh, ghost-like Jesus. Okay. He's not the Jesus that we see in the biblical narratives. Okay, that makes so sense. So when the, when the church sat down and they decided, okay, we need to come up with a biblical canon, they had some requirements, right? And yep. one of them was that you either had it to be an eyewitness of Jesus or be a companion of an eyewitness of Jesus. Okay. So you think of Mark, John Mark, yep. right? John Mark was close friends with Peter. Okay. So he was a traveling companion with Peter okay. and of Paul. So, so John Mark, Mark, spent time with Peter, God used Mark to write the gospel of Mark. You know, Matthew was Levi, the disciple. Yep. Luke was the doctor who spent his life with Paul. Yep. And John was John, the apostle. Right. Paul wrote half the New Testament. Paul had a face-to-face with Jesus. Right. Right. Um, And then you've got Peter and John. Now, James was Jesus' half-brother. Yep. And Jude was Jesus' half-brother. So, and then John wrote the book of Revelation. So to be in the canon of the New Testament, you had to either spend time with Jesus or spend time with somebody who spent time with Jesus. So in, in, a, in a very short way, that was the requirement. So like if someone was authoring it like a hundred years later, they would, they would have been excluded just based on you didn't have exactly. firsthand. Or you didn't have firsthand experience. With, yep. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. So when they got together in 325 AD for the Council of Nicaea, there was a guy named Arian. So they had Arianism that was going on, and it claimed that Jesus wasn't God. So all the church leaders came together and took the Nicene Creed, which said that Jesus was the divine Son of God. Okay. So the canon was created to bring together all of the what the church believed that would have been inspired works of God, the inspired, okay. the God-breathed books of the New Testament. And that's what we have today. In our New Testament, Isn't that amazing? 99% accurate to the original, the original writings. And so then the books that weren't, you said, weren't included either. They were written too far away or the, the story that they told just didn't, didn't match up with, with what you see in all the other, you know, all much, the other evidence. How much debate were there for some of these books? Like, like for the, for the gospel for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, mm-hmm. was there much debate on those? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. I think, you know, there was definitely some debate. I think there was, you know, they, they Matthew, Mark, and, and John, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what they call the synoptic gospels, and so okay. they're all three very similar to each other. Okay. And I think, you know, most scholars think that they used, you know, they, they kind of used each other's to, to come up with their works. Okay. Whereas John's very different, written okay. by John, and John was written much later. You know, the, 
the John's gospel was written, he was a little older. Do you think it was just, I've heard people say like he wrote it more to help fill in the gaps of what those three didn't put in there. You know, what's really cool about the gospels is each gospel is written from that writer's point of view and perspective. Yeah. So they're telling the story of what they saw, but you know, each of those authors told it from their eyes. And so God used these men in incredible ways. He breathed his spirit through them to author God's word, but he still didn't make them a robot when he wrote it. He allowed them to use their own personality and their own character type to write out these gospels. And so that's why you'll have some differences. You might have one author that says, well, there was only Mary at the tomb. Another author says that knows Mary and Salome and the other Mary. And then another author says at the empty tomb, it was Mary and the other women. Well, which one was it? Well, it, all of them are right. It's just that one author decided to not include the names of all the other women because he was focused on Mary. Okay. So it's just really neat. They, you know, some skeptics will say these contradict each other, but what they do is they complement one another. Uh, they, they talk, you talked about, Lee Strobel talked about this in Case for Christ, yeah. where he said if, if everybody, like if we both witness and add a couple other people all witness the same event, yeah. Uh, whatever that event may mm-hmm. be, if we all had exactly word for word the same story, we wouldn't be trusted. Yeah, we'd be collaborating. Yeah, right? that's what they would say. But like, so if I, you know, if, if I said his shirt was red, you said it was burgundy. Yeah. It was, there's other things that kind of like, it, they're close enough. Yeah. And they complement one another, right? Correct. And they fill in the story. So if a detective is going to go talk to a bunch of eyewitnesses to a shooting, yeah. he's going to get 15 different stories. Yeah. But it's his job to see how they complement one another. Correct. And, and how they can be factually correct. Okay. Yeah. And then with the other part of uh, with like the biblical and this is what about the prophecies? Yeah. Great question. You know, I think one of the prophe- the prophecies are another piece of the evidence that show us that the Bible is truly unique and a point to be in divine. Think about this. So the Bible contains hundreds of prophecies about nations and people and mankind in general. There's over 300 prophecies about Jesus alone. There's a guy by the name of J. Barton Payne. He wrote the Biblical Encyclopedia of uh, Biblical Prophecy, okay. and he ca- actually went through the Bible and counted up all the prophecies. Oh. So he needed a lot of Red Bull. Right. <laughs> so he says there's over 1,200 Old Testament prophecies okay. and nearly 800 New Testament prophecies. So think about that. That's, that is, an inc- or I'm sorry, nearly 580 New Testament prophecies. Okay. So if you think about that, you know, that is an incredible number of Biblical prophecies. And unlike any other prophecies found in other religious books or from guys like your personal friend, Nostradamus, right? right the Biblical prophecies were extremely detailed. So what we see, though, as we look back, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these prophecies have been fulfilled clearly and we're still waiting on some of them to come true. Right, well, give me a few examples. Do you have any examples off yeah, the top so, of your head? You know, in the book of Micah, it says that it says where the Messiah will be born. He's okay. going to be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Uh-huh. Yep. In, Gen- in the book of Genesis, it's, it tells us the line that the Messiah is going to come from. It says he's going to come from the line of Judah. Guess where Jesus was born from? The line of Judah. So it's incredible. We see, uh, we see prophecies about how the Messiah would be killed, that people would cast lots for his clothes. Yeah. Uh, we see prophecies that he would rise again. All of these prophecies came true one after another. Isn't that it a- is incredible. And there's no way that even if somebody wanted to, to go back and try to fulfill these on their own, there's no way. Because a lot of these prophecies, they don't become clear until you see the end result. Okay. You see, that's what they were saying. That's what they meant by that prophecy. So we look back and we see these prophecies came tr- come true, and we see that it's so unique, there's no reasonable human explanation for it. So it points to the fact that it's got to be divine. There would have been a lot of collaboration amongst a lot of authors to mm. tie that all in for one yeah. person. There'd be, there'd be no way for people to be that bright 
in, in, in a primarily oral culture, you know, where, where you, a lot of these books were written by scribes as individuals relayed these messages to them that you could put all that together. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. You know, another another way, though, that we see the Bible is unique is that it's truly in, indestructible. Okay, Tom, what do you mean by indestructible? Do you remember the movie um, Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's on, the, the, the four movies are on sale on iTunes right now. I know, it's so good. It's so good. One of my favorites. So, remember the scene where Harrison Ford's in Germany he's trying to get back his father's diary? Yeah. And so he, he, he meets up with, and he ends up running into Hitler in that scene. Oh, but yeah, remember yeah. he's dressed the, as a, yeah. Yeah, dresses as an officer, yeah. right? So then there's the burning pile of books right yeah. there, right? For years, for years, opponents have been trying to snuff out the Bible. They've been trying to put all the Bibles in one spot and burn them to get rid of God's word. Over the last 2,000 years, the Bible has suffered vicious attacks. You know, you think about like early Roman emperors like Diocletian, right? Okay. Tried to snuff out Christianity, tried to, to get rid of any of the writings. You had communist dictators, and then you have modern-day atheists and agnostics. But what we see is, the Bible has withstood the test of time. It's still the most widely published book in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so neat. But, but, Rob, what I think the most unique piece of all uh-huh. is, the, is this. If you were to go out and you're going to go to Barnes & Noble yep. or you're going to go to the library, you're going to look at all the religious books. Yep. So you're going to pull up the Quran. Yep. Right? You're going to look at the Joseph Smith's uh, translation of the Bible. Okay. Right? You're going to look at, at, at Hindu writings. Okay. You're going to look at Buddhist writings. You're going to pull them all out. What are you going to see? Uh, a lot of probably contradictory. Uh, yes. A lot of contradictory statements. Yeah. You're also going to see that every other one of those books tell you, tells you how to work your way to God. Yeah. Right? Do these things and you'll make God happy. Right. Live this way and you'll earn God's favor. Right. Like climb the ladder to God. Right. But what Get is Get reincarnated the, to the next yeah, level. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you can find that perfect nirvana, right? Or right. if you can find perfect harmony with your surroundings, you know, or as Islam would say, well, you just won't ever know. You just have to hope that your good outweighs your bad. Right. What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't tell you how to earn your way to God. The Bible doesn't tell you how to climb the mountain to God. Instead, it tells you that God climbed the mountain down to you. Wow. It's so unique. It's the only book that will ever take that approach it, because it is unique. But the other ones kind of make sense. Like, it's like, as People were always like, I can do better. I can do more. Yeah. I can, I want to fix this myself. Yeah. And the other, like other religions outside of Christianity and not, you know, and even in Christianity, people want to do is like, I'll still earn this myself. For sure. Yeah. That's, I think that's the human heart, right? The human yeah. condition says, well, I want to earn it myself. I, I mean, want I it to be I screwed up. Me. I want to make it right. Yeah, exactly. And what Paul says is that that's not the way it is. God saved us by grace through faith. So we can't boast. No. So we can't take any credit. All the credit goes to God. And so Jesus didn't ask us to climb up the mountain to him. He climbed down the mountain to us. And it's unique. And the only explanation for that is it's truly divine. And also, not only that, in the Bible, Jesus, the Bible claims that Jesus is the Son of God. We see the Bible backs up those claims because Jesus rose from the dead. And what I really want to say here, Rob, is that yeah. the Bible is, is unique it's divine because we can see that over the last 2,000 years, it has changed the hearts in, of men and women, billions of men and women all over the world. But can't we say that about other religions too? I think you can say that people have been motivated by other religions. Okay. You, know, you can look, and look at Islam and say, well, how come these guys were suicide bombers, right? Yeah. But they've been motivated by fear and manipulation. Okay. You know? and, so, and you can look back and see that that has happened throughout the church. Okay. Church history is ugly. 
Yeah. You know, you can look at back at the Crusades. Not going to argue you know? that. Yep, we're not going to argue that. That is ugly. But any of those situations happened. It was all a power move by someone. Correct. It was not based on God's word. Okay. It was not based on God's word. And so here's what we see. This final piece of evidence that I cannot be more excited about is that the Bible is unique therefore divine because of its unique power and authority. Think of it like this. Okay. You know, the Bible's authority is like anything else. It, it, it's authority and power I've seen in the way that countless billions of lives have been changed all over the world. You got drug addicts that have been cured. People battling with sexual sin have been set free. Hardened criminals reformed. Sinners rebuked. Hate turned to love. I mean, the Bible isn't just a book of good teaching. It isn't, it, there's plenty of great teaching. There's plenty of great morals in the teaching of Jesus. Yeah. But the Bible is a story about life change, right? Yeah. And it possesses a dynamic and transforming power that is only possible because it's divine, because it's God's word. All the stuff coming together. It's a, pr- it's pretty impressive it's that pretty good case. The historical accuracy with all the documents yeah. is pretty impressive that with all the other documents we take for granted that they're mm-hmm. historically accurate. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the Bible just... Throwing all the archaeological data that proves that it is historical, right? Yeah. This book was written when it claims that it was written. It's got sites that are on there that exist and yeah. have been dug up and proven yeah. that that's, what, that's where they're at. Yeah. And then you add in the, the unique aspects. Let me try to land the plane here a little okay. bit. Okay. All right. Try to, try to put a bow on this for you. So here's the question we have to ask. As Christians, here's the question we have to ask. How can I know the Bible is the Word of God and not just a good book? Okay. So throughout time, skeptics have called it a myth. Yep. But archaeology shows it's historical. Skeptics have said that it's been corrupted or written hundreds of years later. But we see that we have manuscript documents written within, found within 50 years, and some thought to be even as early as the late 90s, yeah. that, that match what we have in our Bibles today. So it's historically accurate. It is historically accurate. Skeptics have said that its teaching is outdated and primitive, yet it's had changed cultures and changed lives. It's been attacked by science and psychology and politics, yet it's as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. So no matter how many people have tried to destroy it or discredit it, the Bible remains strong as ever. So why do we believe that the Bible is true? Because when we put all these together, we see that the only reasonable explanation is that this is the divine word of God. Unreal. Yeah, it, it's so cool. And what I love about this is, is that we can truly say as Christians that without a doubt, the Bible is God's word, and we can base our life on it. It's unreal. So it's how long did take? How long time to dig dig all this up? Oh, you know, just a lifetime. Just a, <laughs> just a seven <laughs> year. How, how long have you been sem- looking into this? Se- seminary uh, degree, right? right? <laughs> what class was this that you took? Oh yeah, no, it's fun. I'm kind of a geek about this kind of stuff, but it is really amazing to say this book that we possess in our hands and that you and I have on our phones and every different version, and every is different possible. version we get is truly as as Hebrews four twelve says, living and active. You know, <laughs> it's the it's the true divine word of God. It's oh. so fun, man. Incredible. Well, if you're if you're listening, we appreciate it. If you find yourself in the uh, southwest Denver area, we're uh, with Forefront Church there. Look us up, ForefrontChurch.tv, for service times. Sunday mornings, typically at 10 o'clock. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, we'd love to have you. Come come join us. And thank you guys so much for joining us here at the Forefront Church Podcast. It's a lot of fun. Looking forward to div- digging into some of these tough topics with you and having some fun along the way. So, uh, Jesus, be big in our lives, in our church, and in our world. We love you guys. God bless.